Praise the Lord. Remember Brother Todd Brown, I was with him today, picked him up and helped him out a bit, and I know he needs prayer and needs uh, the Lord to hear and answer prayer for him. So we're, we are, uh, have a lot to pray for, but we're glad that you're here. Um, <clears throat> making his American debut tonight, uh, Brother David Guy Barrett. His father was assistant pastor in a church in Perth. His brother currently pastors one of the daughter works out of a church in Perth. And uh, he's a fine young man. Unfortunately, I have to say goodbye to him this Saturday unless the Lord performs a miracle. But uh, we're, we want him to know we're praying for him and that we are holding him up in prayer. And so I, uh, I ask him to speak tonight. So you're going to hear from down under. Brother David Barrett, hallelujah. Now, just take it slow because you don't speak right. You kind of speak. <laughs> That's not true. I think you guys don't speak right. So um, it's the complete opposite. Um, for, I want to thank um, Pastor for, for giving me the opportunity. Um, it means it means a lot. Um, so, you know, I've been here for the last two months and um, I've been reflecting on, on just my life and just what's been happening. And me and, me and my wife were walking in the park, and I, I said to her, I don't know what to speak about. And in actual fact, I did. And I said to her, I've always prayed, not my will, but thy will be done. So that's, that's, the, that's the title, not my will, but thy will. So in Matthew 26, Jesus was in the garden. As he was in the garden, he knew that he was going to be tortured. He was going to be beaten. He was going to be crucified. He was innocent through all this. He could have called his angels and sent them down. But he said, no, it's not my will, but thy will be done. You know, I'm not sure what's going to happen with my visa. I know that accidents happen. But when I'm confronted, I still get to choose the response. I don't make it about me. It's not my expectation. It's about God. You know, I look at Moses... He was living in the wilderness. And it's funny how much myself, I can relate to that. I was living in the wilderness. And I always said, I can't speak. That was me. But here I am today. Moses killed a man. He was a murderer. He came up with 
all the excuses to justify why he couldn't talk. God still called him. Moses did not want to lead. But when he was confronted with the great I am, that was it. He led the exodus. So once again, not my will, but thy will. The three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they got put in that furnace. They could have been burnt. But it's not a question of, is my God able? Because we know that he is able. They declared that we will do what is right God responds in his will. He is working all things for my good, not withholding anything for me. You know, when I look at Paul and Silas, they were in jail. Not the nice jails that we have today. They were in rat-infested jails. They still chose. They chose to praise the Lord through all that. They're supposed to glorify him through all that. You know, if my visa does not come through, that's still fine. I'm going to be in the front row praising him. I'm going to break open the box of anointing and still offer him thanksgiving. I'm still going to submit myself And I'm still going to be humble. I'm going to cast down every burden, be sober and vigilant. I'm going to resist steadfast in the faith. The world out there may say, why? Why when you've been through all this? But the church says, God says, we say, it's not about me but it's about God. It's not about my affliction because I know that there's something greater happening because I know my God. And once you know your God, once you have that relationship, you know. In John 5, 14, it says, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, can I say it again, according to his will, he will hear us. Remember, God hasn't forgotten. He is hearing those prayers. And if we know that he will hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we are desired of him. You know, I look around the room today and I know there's prayers. I'm praying. I'm praying all the time. But we have that decision to either say no or to say, not my will, but thy will be done. So praise the Lord.
God. Wonderful. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Caitlin, do you want to follow up on that? Praise the Lord. I don't really know how you follow up on a word like that. Because what's so powerful about it is that it is so true. When you are presented with those circumstances where it doesn't feel like this is meeting my expectation. And I will tell you in my own life, I'm an expectations person. Right? So I expect certain people to behave certain ways. I expect teachers to teach. I expect administrators to administer. I expect things to happen the way that they should. And when things don't meet my expectations, it gets a little bit uncomfortable. And then I have to decide, okay, if you're not meeting my expectations, what is my response? Now, this is just me. Y'all got this whipped. I know you do. But this is just me. And yet, if I have that feeling about people, I'm going to be real in my humanity. Sometimes I have an expectation of God. Why didn't this happen the way that I thought it would? Why didn't you open that door? I thought that was a good door. Why'd you shut that one? That one looked real nice. It's just me. Y'all never doubt. That's wonderful. But there comes a point, as Brother David mentioned, where you have to decide, okay, if your response has been outside the realm of my expectation, if I'm going to do not my will but thine, I've got to get my will in line with yours. I've got to be willing to say, you know what? It didn't happen the way that I thought, but God's still good. You know what? The miracle I was expecting wasn't the one I got, but you know, I'm thankful. You know, I was going through this and I was facing that and none of it lined up how I thought it would line up. And yet, let me show you what God did. There's a reason why in Revelation, he said, these are them that overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They loved not their lives to the death. At some point when I start preaching to myself, look what he's done. The expectation that I came to the table with starts to change because I know the master chef. I know that he's got something even better in the kitchen. And there comes a point in your life where you decide as, a, as we develop our relationship with God that we get to the point where we say, you know what? I've eaten at your table so many times and you've had so many wonderful dishes. I don't even need to see the menu. You just bring me what you got. Have you ever gone to a restaurant long enough and they're like, we don't even need to get your order. We know what you already want. Or have you ever had a cook and, and maybe it's just your mama's home cooking and you're just like, whatever mama puts on the table, dinner's going to be good. Well, how much more so? Our heavenly father who says, I'm not going to withhold any good thing from you. All things, as Brother David mentioned, are going to be working for good. 
And so how do I get to that point when I'm faced with my worry and I'm faced with my fear and I'm faced with this didn't quite meet my expectation? First things first, the Bible says that perfect love, God's love perfected in us, casts out all fear. And if I want to get rid of my fear, I got to get to know love. And God is love. He says, get to know God. Build that relationship with him. Desire what he desires. And it's wonderful because the Bible says he'll give us the desires of our heart. But the little caveat that is unmentioned but there is that he didn't say that as you walk with him, the desires of your heart aren't going to change. I got a lot of desires that have changed over the years. But you know what? I can't say I'm disappointed with the change. If anything, those desires have been upgraded. Amen? So get to know him. Because if you know him, to know him is to love him. And to let him know me. It's not just about me reading the word. And it's not just about me coming to church and praising and worshiping. All that's good and all that needs to happen. But it's about me being real and honest about this is where I'm at. This is what I'm facing. This was my expectation. I don't like it. You know, that's okay to be that real with God. It's okay to tell him, you didn't answer like I thought you were going to answer. And that kind of hurt my feelings. Did you know you can feel that way? You absolutely can. If Elijah, after having an amazing move of God in the Old Testament in, in uh, First Kings, I believe, could turn around and say, look, I've had enough. I'm no better than my father's. Just kill me now. Jezebel's coming to get me. You just answered with fire, but I'm afraid. I can be real about where I'm at. And what's so wonderful about as we get to know the Lord, he says, look, I want to recognize and I want to realize that he is trustworthy. So he's worthy of my trust. That means I can entrust in him all of my sorrows, all my hurts, all my fears, all my needs. Because what I know is he turns my mourning into dancing. He turns my sorrow into joy. And every need he will supply. So if I'm real with him and I come to him and I say, look, this is my need. Guess what he said he's going to do? I'm going to meet that need. And you know what? All of those things, getting to know him and trusting him with my sorrow and trusting him to meet my needs means I also have to trust him enough to obey him. And I work with kids, and there are some kids where they are most precious, but you, the teacher will tell them, look, you just need to learn this method. And some kids fight it. This is a dumb method. I don't like it. I don't want to learn it. Why do I need to know algebra? People need to move on and stop trying to find their ex. That's an algebra joke. <laughs> right? 
And they get real upset. And then there are other students who say, okay, I don't get why, but I'm going to trust that this is going to teach me something. You say, well, Sister Caitlin, have you used algebra? No, I'll be honest with you. I haven't. But what I learned in that is how to study. What I learned from that was new methods of understanding. And sometimes you just got to trust to obey. When it comes to the Lord, I don't understand why if my finances are tight, tithing makes a difference. But I trust the Lord that he said he's going to bless me, so I'm going to do it anyway. I don't understand how taking a few minutes out of my day to send an encouraging text to somebody who doesn't answer that reply is going to make a difference. But you know what? He said, if I cast out the bread on the water, it's not going to come back to me void. So I'm going to do it anyway. I don't understand how making sure I'm a part and plugged into the church is going to make any difference in my life spiritually. But you know what? Here I am when the doors are open. Why? Because he said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves. I'm preaching to the choir. Y'all are all here on Wednesday. But there comes a point in time where sometimes I just have to say, I don't know why. I don't get it. But you know what? Yea, though I walk, I will fear no evil. Why? Because I know you're with me. And then once you get to that point, then you can start to do some heart cultivation. And then you start to see people and see, and I'll be honest, one of the hardest person to see with mercy is myself. But the Lord said, I want to cultivate some mercy in there for you and for each other. Because the world knows whose you are by the love we have for each other. Well, but so-and-so stepped on my toe. But you know what? I'm going to apply mercy. Why? Are you trying to be Miss Spiritual? No, it's not my will. But thine. And I start to see people through the eyes, not this way of, can you believe they said that? Can you believe they did that? But, wow, they must be really going through something right now. And Maybe they're struggling with something, and, or maybe they're just really tired today. I'm going to ask the Lord to give them some good rest tonight and give them some peace. And I'm sure they're going through whatever. And if they thought for a minute that they would have sounded like whatever coming across, I'm sure they wouldn't have done it. Well, but I know sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so, and they absolutely meant it. Well, guess what? They need mercy all the more. And I start to grow some mercy there. And I start to say, I can forgive that. I can, I can apply some mercy to that. And when I mess up, mm, mess up, say, Lord, turn that mercy right back on me, please. I know I messed up. Please help me. I got to get back up and try again. I know I'm human. I try not to be, but I'm still there. And he said, the more you start to cultivate that mercy, the more then you get to maintain a clear conscience because you're not just stuck on, man, this is the worst and everything's the worst and I'm the worst and you're the worst and have you looked at the world? It's the worst. But I get to say, you know what? We're trying. We're doing our best. We're keeping after it. 
We tripped up today. I get it. Paul said, I have to die daily. And you know what? That's wonderful that he limited to once a day. There are days that I feel like I need to die every couple of minutes. That's just me. But there are days where I'm just like, I woke up this morning and my phone was already ringing with work. It's like I haven't even rolled out of bed. This could wake. This could wait for a minute until I get there. But my phone's on fire. So then I'm, I'm just going to be real. I'm not happy at that time. And then I have to think, okay. And then I get to work and my phone is still on fire. And then I get mad again. And then I have to pray through again. Because then I'm upset, right? And I've about had enough and I've just walked in the doors. Y'all don't have that situation at your job. That's wonderful. But then... When I'm trying to get my reports written and the teachers come by and I have an open door policy, if I do not have my test and sign in, you can come on in. And inevitably, the days where I am most pressed for time trying to write my reports, I have five teachers that want to come in and talk about a case that isn't due until like five weeks later. When I've got seven meetings today and I've got to finish up six reports. Hallelujah. I'm not, I don't have a real clear conscience at that point. <laughs> I'm having to pray through a lot. And yet he said, the more that you get to know him and the more that we get to trust in him and the more that we obey him and the more that we cultivate that mercy and the more that we cast on him all of our sorrows and all of our concerns. Lord, you know my caseload. You know what I'm facing. He said, you know what? You're going to start building some healthy and peaceful relationships with people around you. Why? Because you're making a habit of not your will but mine done in your life. You're allowing the Lord to say, you know what? I recognize you're feeling stressed right now. So instead of biting back at you, I'm going to offer a word of peace. Instead of snapping back, I'm going to hush, speak a little peace to that storm. And then when you start to do all of that, it, it starts to change the way that you see things around you. And it's no longer just a, a vision of how we see things here, but it's a vision beyond. Because I recognize those small things that I'm doing in my day-to-day -day are making not just a temporary impact on my daily life, but they're doing something in the eternal. Why? Because he said all of those things build up. Paul said our momentary afflictions work an ever more pressing weight of glory. And, you know, I, I'm so moved at the fact that the Lord uses those small things. Because I think if I were Paul and I was working with the seven churches, I'd have thought my lasting legacy in the kingdom is going to be seven churches. That's what's going to last. That's what's going to make a difference. That's what's going to make an impact in the world because those are big things. And yet not a one of those churches survived. But the letters he wrote to them did. Those things that I wouldn't have considered big. Words of encouragement and things to help them along the way. 
And I think to myself, Lord, how many times have I taken for granted the little things that I've done for you because you kept hidden the impact they would have? And, you know, I'll be honest, I'm thankful that he keeps it hidden. Because if he showed me, when you do this little tiny thing, it's going to have this big ripple effect that's going to impact this many people throughout the years, throughout the centuries. If, it, if I had known that and I was Paul, I'd be agonizing over every line of those letters. And John and everybody. I don't know how all the people who wrote the letters. So many people wrote letters. But I'd agonize over it. And I'd say, what am I going to say? What if I put a comma here when I should have put a semicolon? And... But when you make it about not my will, but thine, those things, they don't matter. Why? Because we're allowing him to step in. We're allowing him to make a difference. We're allowing him the permission to move in our lives and to work the miracle that he wants for our good and his glory. What's so wonderful about Moses is when he had his not my will but thine be done, he led a people, an entire nation, out of Egypt towards a promised land. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had their not my will but thine be done moment, they ended up being a witness to an entire secular nation. Read Nebuchadnezzar's response. There is no God like the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When Paul and Silas had their not my will, but thine be done moment in the prison, they witnessed to an entire family and won them to the Lord. So when I'm presented with my own moments, where I feel like I really like my will in this time. If I can recognize, you know what? It's not about what I want. It's not about my will. It's not about my desires. It's not about my things. It's about me being willing to trust the master. About me giving him permission to say, you do what you do best and work this for some good. Because I can't see how it's going to turn. But I know you're the way maker. I can't see how it's going to make a difference. But I know who is the great physician. I can't see. And that's okay. Because I know the one who opened blinded eyes. Not my will. But thine be done. Praise the Lord. And um, great word from both David and Caitlin. And I um, will say, I, I told her John because I thought she was speaking about the churches in Revelation that didn't survive. Of course, many of the others didn't as well. And uh, that's why I said John who wrote that. But... Um, want to remember brother george we mentioned him earlier i think he goes back tomorrow to get a tube out of his stomach and as we pray the lord will be with him i know that's overwhelming 
and has been. He was in the hospital the same day Brother Larry was, and I didn't realize he was in the same hospital. I, well, we were there and visited Brother Larry, and he was there at the same time. <clears throat> Interesting scenario about the debut sermon here for America to say, not my will, and Caitlin following that up. And the sermon that is recorded by Solomon in Ecclesiastes, maybe his first sermon or that he preached, he opens up by saying, if I lived 2,000 years, 1,000 years twice over, and he said, if I had all of, I, I, I have seen no good and experienced no enjoyment, can you imagine living 2,000 years and having horrible, I mean, it's hard enough, you know, we, I get exhausted if I go through a year of trial. We're two years into COVID and I'm like, oh man, throw in the towel on this. Huh? Now maybe you've not had those feelings, but I look at it and I go, man, I'm overwhelmed. Solomon said, if I lived... 2,000 years and saw nothing good. Listen to how depressed he was. Don't we all go to the place of the dead? All the labor of a man is for his mouth. For self-preservation and enjoyment, yet his desire is not satisfied. And this whole book of Ecclesiastes it opens up by talking about great education, if you learn great education, and then if you had all scientific knowledge and everything, and then if you had all fun in the second chapter, and you had a pleasure, and it was all wonderful, and he keeps saying, it's vanity, it's vanity, and he said, then if you started building things, planting vineyards, and then everyone, you know, you had all these good things going on, then you had work, and you worked at a vineyard, Brother David, guy's been helping clean a vineyard, my Lord. And if you did that every day, because he can't work a job, so he's been working in a vineyard, bless his heart. And if you had all wealth, and you had servants, man servants, women maid servants, other servants, great possessions, herds, flocks, you had all of this, said, if you achieved all kinds of things in the second chapter in the ninth verse, keep going through those slides. I'm on about 23. So great if you go through the first chapter and the second chapter, and he's talking about all of the hand, all of the achievements, all that my hands have done. When he reaches slide 24, he says, and we know this, we're all here on Wednesday night. For 35 times he talks about me, my, if I had this, I've done that, I feel this, I this, I that, I, I, I. What did Brother David Guy say? Not my will. But I've tried having fun. I've tried this. I, I don't have, I need to, I need to have more fun. I need to have more money. I need to have a better job. Need to have a better family. I need to have a, I need to have a, I need to, I, 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 I. 
After using that 35 times, the end of Ecclesiastes, he says, all has been heard. The end of the matter is this. Fear God, revere and worship him, knowing that he is, and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man, the full original purpose of his creation, the object of God's providence, the root of character, the foundation of all happiness. The adjustment to all inharmonious circumstances and conditions. So when things aren't lining up, it's time to get the focus off of me. For God shall bring every work into judgment and every secret thing, whether it is good or evil. So you say, well, I want to be happy. I just want to be happy. Well, the Lord opened his first sermon in Matthew. I know uh, Luke records him going to the synagogue and preaching out of Isaiah. But his first sermon was, don't worry, be happy. They wrote a song about it. Anybody ever heard it? Don't worry, be happy. It's like a room without a roof. Now you know what I'm talking about? The word for happy is the same word as blessed. So those of you who have your Bibles, I know you have them on a phone or an iPad or whatever, open it up to Matthew the fifth chapter and I want you to read me, somebody read it out loud. Jesus' Be Happy Sermon. You all know it. You've heard it. And I'm going to just turn a little twist of the knob to it. Just slightly. All right? Red letters. Here's what Jesus said. Matthew 5, starting at verse 3. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What was he saying? When you are poor in spirit and you move into a place, notice what it says in Amplified, happy to be envied, spiritually prophets, prosperous with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of their outward conditions. So as Sister Caitlin said, as Brother David said, the first step in being happy is to plunge back into knowing God and develop the relationship with God. Regardless of what's going on, I need more of God. The more I am, I am bombarded, the more I'm get, I get hit with incongruous things, the more things feel depressed and, and overwhelming and out of line, the more I've got to get into his presence, into his spirit. Well, I don't feel like praying. That's when, red flag, I need to pray. I don't feel like raising my hands. I just don't feel like worshiping. That's when. So the first step 
out of those eight is number one, get to know God better. Next verse, go ahead, Sister Tabby. Blessed and enviably happy. Enviably happy. Do you want people to say, I just can't understand why you're so happy. After you get to know God, poor in spirit, because when you're poor in spirit, what do you need? God, because I need some of his spirit. Because I'm all out. That's what Caitlin said, I die daily, sometimes twice or three times a day. Happy is when you are realizing I'm running on empty. I got to go fill up some more. When you erroneously think, oh, I'm okay. I don't, I don't need to pray. That's when you're really poor in spirit. <laughs> you're on empty. You're on fumes. So now he goes blessed and enviably happy with a happiness produced by the experience of God's favor and especially conditioned by the revelation of his matchless grace are those who mourn. What does that mean? That you will trust God with your deepest sorrow. You will be real, as Sister Caitlin said, you're real about what I'm going through, what's going on in my life. I'm mourning, Lord, I am so, I've, I've been hit, I've been overwhelmed but I'm filling up on your presence when I can fill up in the midst of my mourning. <laughs> For they shall be comforted. And what is it? I must go away, but I'm going to leave the comforter. What is the comfort that the Lord gives? Is another taste and a dose of the Holy Ghost. When you are at your wit's end, it's time for the comforter. It's time to say, Lord, sa saturate me with your comforter. Yeah, I know we, we, have, a, we have some comforters that we put on some ladies when they've gone through grief and grief share and all of those things. But I'm going to tell you, there is a comfort that all of us can experience in the presence of Almighty God when the Holy Ghost wraps around us. How happy can we be? You say it doesn't make sense. You ought to be in mourning. Yes, I am, but I'm feeling the comforter like I've never felt before. I'm feeling the presence of God. Oh, it's not my will, but thine. Fifth verse, go on. Not only do you trust God with your sorrow, but blessed, happy, blithesome, joyous, spiritually prosperous, with life joy and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of their outward conditions, are the meek, the mild, patient, long-suffering, the meek, for they shall inherit. You don't have to get fretful. The Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills. When you can trust God to meet your needs, I, I can tell you in my own life, you know, reaching in my pocket and finding, man, I didn't know I had that $20 bill or 
Where did that money come from? How did that? Resting when I am plunged into his presence, when I'm trusting him for my sorrow, then I, am, I don't have to get anxious. I can be meek, not full of anxiety, not full of fear, not full of, Lord, you got this. If, if you know, I think I need it, but if you don't, you're going to make a way. I'm not talking about being, excuse me, foolish with your money. I'm talking about just saying, Lord, you're able. I'm young, now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous. Not only meet your needs, next verse, trust God, blessed and fortunate and happy and spiritually prosperous in the state in which the born again child of God enjoys his favor and salvation are those who hunger and thirst after for righteousness, uprightness, right standing with God, for they shall be completely satisfied. When you are able to trust God enough to obey him, and do what's right. Even though you're tempted to do wrong. And I'm telling you. Our family's been tempted to do wrong. I was ready to buy a plane ticket to Juarez. Go about this the whole wrong way. Huh? Now you've never been tempted to do wrong. Happy are those who trust God enough to obey him and do what's right, even though it doesn't feel right, even though I don't like it, even though it doesn't make sense, even though it makes me mad, even though it frustrates me. I'm going to do what's right. Yeah. Oh, hallelujah. By the time you get through about the fourth one of those, then... As Kister Caitlin said in the next verse, blessed, happy to be envied, spiritually prosperous with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of those outward conditions, are the... Oh, I didn't like hearing her say that. I don't like to have to be merciful. I don't like it when people ask me to do things, and it is, I don't feel merciful. But he said, blessed when you are merciful, when you give mercy. What does that mean? Somebody deserves it? No. Have you ever been taken advantage of? You ever had people use you? You ever had people? Probably not you. But why am I giving mercy? Because I need mercy. You will be happy. Next verse. Blessed, happy, enviably, enviably fortunate, and spiritually prosperous, possessing the happiness produced by the experience of God's favor and especially conditioned by the revelation of his grace, regardless of their outward conditions, are the pure in heart. Doing your best to keep a pure conscience. When you've done something wrong, ask God to forgive you and get up. I'm going to try to do right. Because I want a pure in heart. I want a clean heart. David said, create in me a 
clean heart. Why? Because this is going to usher me into the presence of Almighty God. And I need more of his presence. <clears throat> then as Sister Caitlin said in verse 9, blessed, happy, enviably happiness, spiritually prosperous. You say, I just want to be happy. Well, if you'll start knowing God, trusting him with his, your sorrow, trust him to meet your needs, trust him to obey him, start being merciful, maintaining a clear conscience, and then building, they are the makers and maintainers of peace. Only time you can make or maintain peace is when there's chaos and turmoil around you. They shall be called what? The... It's not easy to be peaceful in the midst of the storm. Huh? But the more you are exercised to do that, the more enviable your happiness is. When everything is going wherever it goes in a handbasket, Some of y'all are laughing because you've heard that expression. And you can say, full of the Holy Ghost enough to say, Lord, I want to be a peacemaker in the midst of all of this. Ooh. He said, You're, you will have enviable happiness. Ninth verse, that's it. Tenth verse, we could keep going. Jesus' first sermon, David Guy's first sermon here, blessed and happy and enviable, fortunate for spiritual prosperity, prosperous in the state of which the born-again child of God enjoys and finds satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of his outward conditions, are those who are being persecuted for righteousness' sake, for being and doing right, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me, let me tell you the last thing that you have to maintain. It's what Solomon ended up his book on, and that is that you recognize there is an eternal vision that I've got to get a hold of. I've got to see into eternity. It can't be right now about what I am. It's not my will, but thine be done. It's not about who I am. It's not about what I'm going through. It's about, let me get a vision of eternity, Lord. And that's not always easy. And I appreciate the word. So heartfelt from Brother David and Sister Caitlin. And I want us to stand. And I, I want us to join in prayer. If you're online, and I know <coughs> Sister Marcia's online, she texted me. Um, very possibly Sister Susan's got Brother <coughs> Larry online.
But I want us to have prayer for Brother Larry, Sister Luke Deesa, Melissa, Carly, Brother George, and all of these names. We have names on this prayer list. And I know we have individuals that are going through. And you say, well, the Lord is not spiritual Prozac where you just walk around and you say, oh no, I feel nothing, I feel nothing. Oh, you, you have to be honest. You have to be honest with what you're feeling. You have to bring it to him and say, but Lord, I need your presence to remind me this world is not my home. No matter what I'm going through here, it's just temporary for eternity. I want you to work through me, Lord. Use me. Bless me. Touch me. Strengthen me. Let me be a lighthouse to somebody else. I don't know. I don't know who I will come in contact with today or tomorrow or the next day, but you know what? Happy. Don't worry. Be happy. If you need prayer, you're welcome to come. If you want to come and stand around the front.